Hello, people of the world. It was a busy football weekend with a lot of interesting results. That Bills-Cardinals game came down to the last play. The Hail Murray, as I think it was Rich Eisen who started calling it that, had a pretty boringly entertaining Sunday night football game where everyone was just kind of waiting for Lamar and the Ravens to start their comeback, but never manifested it. Their offense has a lot of things they need to figure out. And one of the teams the Ravens are in the mix with for one of the AFC wild cards is the subject of today's episode. But before we get down to the fun part, got to remind everyone, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find this podcast. Leave a review. This is going to be, this is episode eight. I'm actually putting in some work here. Come on, people, throw me a bone, please, please. But today's topic. Those Indianapolis Colts, who are in the mix a lot more than I thought they would be with uh, old man Philip Rivers. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop. This one's blocked and returned for the touchdown. Carey gets the touchdown after the block by EJ Speed. And with that, I welcome on one of like the five people I graduated college with. I didn't hate. Chuck, how are we doing today, bud? Oh, wow. What a title. Thanks, bud. <laughs> quite, the, uh, quite the intro. You don't have, do you, uh, do you have Van Halen to cue in? You don't do that? You're not like Bill? You don't have... Uh... No, I don't have Pearl Jam, no. How's it feel to uh, be sitting relatively comfortably with that Colts team right now? Uh, I don't know if I would call it comfortably. Um, I've, I've grown to enjoy discomfort <laughs> when it comes to rooting for this team, quite honestly. Um, despite the fact that we're six and three, despite the fact that we are in uh, sole possession of first place at the moment in the, in the AFC South, despite all of the things that might be pointing towards a nice late season push towards a postseason birth. Um, I can't, I, I can't feel fully satisfied. I'm not fully at ease at the moment still. Um, it comes down to a, a couple things, but yeah, just to, to sum it up, I'm, uh, I'm okay. I'm not great, not bad, but I'm okay. That's about what I would expect you to be at. I know you're you're kind of a doom and gloom person when it comes to the Colts. So seeing that you're okay is it's good to hear that you're buddy, okay. buddy. If you've been through, I mean, well, you're a Giants fan, so yeah. I mean, you've been through some of it yourself. But if you've been some through some of the sh stuff that I, I don't want to <laughs> curse, I don't want to curse. But if, <laughs> if, if you've been through some of the stuff that I've been through uh, in the last ten years. Uh, then you would understand why I'm uh, doom and gloom. That's the entire point of this podcast is that the only people who understand the psychosis are the other people who endure the sports psychosis. And it's why I've had such a wide variety of people on to come on. So before we get into talking a little bit about the game on Thursday night, how did yeah. you become a Colts fan? Well, um, <clears throat> it's actually quite funny. Um, so my uh, when I was... 
Oh boy, it's going back a ways. Um, I was four years old and uh, growing up, my, uh, my grandpa, very big into horses, uh, specifically the monetary value that they could provide him. <laughs> and uh, as a byproduct of that, he would have his, uh, his friends over our house every weekend during the summer. And one of the games that they liked to play was, uh, was horseshoes. And uh, so I remember one of those outings, I was out there and uh, he showed me a horseshoe. I, I thought it looked, uh, I thought it looked really cool. I'm easily impressionable at that time. So, um, so yeah, I remember thinking that was like the coolest looking thing I'd ever seen. And then when I finally started watching football, roughly, or sports in general, really, but roughly a year later, I was watching Sports Center, and uh, <clears throat> they did a highlight run, and uh, the Colts came on, and they have the horseshoe logo, so I said, that's my team, and, uh, you know, it just so happened at that time, they had an all-pro quarterback, an all-pro supporting cast around him, um, so of course, you know, the, the bandwagoner comments were plenty, but, I mean, we went one and done, I don't know how many years during Peyton's time. So I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a bandwagoner. Like, yes, we were in the mix, but it wasn't like the results were always there. So I, I thought people were kind of being unfair to me, but I'm a diehard and uh, yeah, I've been bleeding blue and white ever since. So that's, you, that's my story. You have to be pretty diehard because you did endure a pretty rough run of things that were Ryan Grigson for a while. We're oh. going to get to that. That's on the, that's on the list of subjects, but <laughs> Yeah. You endured that, and you you lived to see the other side. But oh yeah, I did. Going back to the Thursday night game, yes. for the entire first half, I felt pretty confident the Titans were going to win that game because they were dictating the control of the game. They had the ball for what seemed like the entire first half, but the Colts just they hung around. And this Colts team is like the polar opposite of what we've come to expect from Colts teams with the high flying offense that can drop 40 points pretty easily, whether it was with Peyton or it was with luck. Now it's a lot of clock management, a lot of good, strong defense. And Thursday special teams was the big difference in the game between the block punt and then forcing their punter to shank that punt off the side of his foot. Cause they just rushed more guys. They had a, they sent a rush instead of trying to return the kick. How did you feel about Thursday night's game? Um, well, for one, um, I, you know, special teams, I think especially um, that was, that was really the difference. Um, I mean, my, my condolences go out to, uh, to Trevor Daniel, but if his punting capabilities are anything like his capabilities to deliver packages on time for FedEx, then he's out of a job either way. Uh, just God awful. Um, I, I could probably punt a better ball than him. And I didn't play punter, have never really kicked. Um, my closest kicking experience was one year of soccer when I was very much out of shape and quit mid-season because it was too hot out for me to endure it. So I, you know, condolences, T's and P's. But um, yeah, dude, I couldn't believe it. Um, we have one of those games very rarely where special teams actually makes the difference. And between that shank and then the block punt, which very fitting, by the way, that a guy with the last name of Speed is speeding through and blocking said punt um, and scoring that touchdown there. 
that that was pretty much the difference. I mean, we scored 21 unanswered and, you know, Tennessee, it's uh, it's obvious how much of a impact losing Lawan has had on them. I mean, that offense is just not nearly the same as they were to start the season. Um, and the defense doesn't make it any easier for them. I mean, their, their pass rushing is not good. I mean, they were, they managed to get a sack on Phil. Um, he shouldn't have taken that sack at the end of the first half, but um, they managed to get a little bit of pressure at that point. But for the most part, we kept Phil clean. Um, the running game for once was consistent. I mean, averaged, uh, if I remember correctly, we averaged a little over four and a half yards of carry on the game, um, led by Naheem Hines, not even by Jonathan Taylor. So um, what are you going to do? But I mean, overall, just great game. I mean, I, I was pleasantly surprised. However, this whole theme of inconsistency is what scares me the most because we're playing Green Bay this week now. And I hope that Frank and Phil are looking at the film and realizing that the best way to have this team be successful is to run an up-tempo offense where you let Phil do a lot of the work and you've got guys like Hines, Pittman finally coming in and doing his thing. I've been waiting for that for the entire season. Um, just having T.Y. out there and healthy, yes, he's not producing nearly the same, but his presence definitely makes a difference, draws the attention of the secondary to let other guys get open. Um, Mo Ali Cox, my guy, Mac Daddy, that dude is, he's a beast. And when they let him get the ball, he can do things. Um, and then you have really a solid three-headed monster in the backfield there between Hines, who shined finally again, um, Jonathan Taylor, and then Jordan Wilkins provides a good burst from time to time too. So, I mean, I'm not saying the weapons are spectacular because they're honestly not, but it's good enough where if you put them in an up-tempo pace, they can actually produce. So, Yeah, and that's one of those things where if you play good situational football, having an offense like that, it's okay, where if the defense and special teams are giving you a short field or forcing turnovers, if they've only got to go 50 yards, 40 yards, it helps a lot, and it makes it easier to run your offense. Yeah, and not only that, but when you go up tempo like they did, like it limits the possibility of Frank getting way too cute with the play calling. Um, I mean, Reich has he's been listen, he's been a lot better than Chuck Pagano. We're not chopping wood anymore, so I mean that's great, but he definitely tries to bring out the the Philly special esque side of him way too much at times, and they end up overthinking it. Like some of the fourth down play calls, which I'm happy with the aggressiveness. It's not a, ca a case of that, but just the, the predictability of some of the fourth and short calls, like when Wilkins got stonewalled at the goal line there, like anybody could clearly see that they were going to, to run it. Like you didn't even try and set it up. Like there could be a potential play action pass or something like that. So I'm still not happy with the fourth down play calls in those situations, but overall, I think this is the, the blueprint that they need to use going forward to really solidify their status as in like a dark horse threat going into the postseason. Um, I came coming into this year. I really didn't know what to expect from them because I honestly didn't know what you were going to get from rivers. I figured the defense would be fine. I figured 
the weapons around rivers were decent and the worst case if you roll it back and you have to go to jacoby he's fine he's not a savior but he's a passable nfl quarterback here and there in spurts yeah and i mean first of all i think phil needs to tighten up a little bit like he hates doing qb sneaks and i mean well i mean props to tennessee for being naive enough to not expect a qb sneak when jacoby scored when he came in the game when he did but like you know phil doesn't like doing qb sneaks he's been historically that way going back to his days in san diego and it can cost games if you're not careful enough um like i remember the one fourth down play um right around midfield uh jt got the first down on a handoff but they literally had you could see it on the film they had a gap between kelly q and lewinsky there it was like this wide like easily could have gotten it on a sneak but phil just doesn't want to sneak so going forward, I would like to have him be a little more aggressive in those situations to just dive forward and get it. But, you know, for the time being, I'm, I'm a happy camper. You know, when Phil plays like that, I can't complain. Now that you're, you've gotten the happiness out of it, we've got to go back a little bit and do a little bit of recent Colts history to get to where, how they got to where they are now, which, of sure. course, goes back to Grigson. It goes back to trying to remember chuck pagano goes back to why can't i think of his name who, Codwell. i was thinking oh. of codwell yeah i was thinking of caldwell who probably shouldn't have got fired but from detroit but that's another story from for another, another yeah. day yeah. but when we go back over the luck era what would you say defines the luck era ryan gregson's ineptitude to put a uh talented roster around him specifically an offensive line um listen i <clears throat> I'm, I'm definitely a luck apologist so i don't know if i should be qualified to talk about everything here but um that guy was a hall of fame generational talent there's no ifs and ifs ends or buts about it if you want to talk about it come and see me um but he was he was so good at doing a lot with a little, I mean, my God, like some of those people that were starting on, on the line for us, whether it was from Samson Satelli at center, Mike McGlynn, who was <laughs> God awful for like three years straight at right guard, Gosder Cherilis, Hugh Thornton. Um, I, I mean, the only real consistent player on that roster throughout that entire time was Costanzo. Um, I mean, Jack Muhort had one or two years at left guard, but then he retired on out of the blue, um, which became a theme. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't give him an offensive line. So the guy gets killed and it's hilarious because I follow some of these Colts fans on Twitter and a lot of people bring up the, what was the, the climax of Luck's whole, uh, injury recover rehab all that that whole like saga that he was enduring pretty much his entire career they blame the climax of it him retiring abruptly like he did uh they blame it on him because he got hurt in a snowboarding accident but that's just like it, it's just so that's just dumb to put on him like it's completely on the front office pagano too has some culpability in it but 
it's specifically Gregson for not being able to put a an offensive line in that could actually keep him upright. And by the time they did it, when Ballard finally came in and has been the Superman that he is, um, it was it was too late. He was already checked out at that point. And I can't blame him. I mean, I mean, God bless him. He's got a family. He's got his whole life ahead of him, and he wants to be able to walk out of the game on his own terms, walk upright, and. Uh, in that aspect, looking back now, I commend him for it. In the moment, I was devastated, but um, that, that's really what it, it came down to. And then, and then, of course, too, didn't have a defense. So really was all on his shoulders. I mean, that seemed like kind of just a theme for the Colts for a lot of their recent history of our quarterback's good enough that he'll be able to manage that we don't have anything else, where Peyton towards the end of his run was just there was no defense whatsoever. Like, yeah, he could put up 31 points easily, but it doesn't matter if the other team scores 35. Or same thing with Luck, where when they did make those playoff games, every single game was in the 30s or 40s because their defense couldn't stop anyone. And I am a fellow Luck apologist. There's a Luck jersey hanging over my shoulder there on the rack behind me. I I saw the vision. I really thought coming out of Stanford, he would be one of the guys. I thought he would lead that team for – 20 years I thought he he was a Peyton Manning-esque prospect coming out of Stanford we all saw it the physical tools a rocket for an arm pretty quick for a guy as big as he was he was he wasn't scared to make contact he would put his head down stupidly and try and run over linebackers even though you know he's a quarterback and he should probably be sliding but I saw I saw someone who I thought would make the hall of fame and it's a shame he didn't ever really get to play on a good team. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I, uh, no, I agree with that. I mean, cause it's interesting when you go back, uh, I, when you even go back to the Peyton days, like that was a situation where you had the weapons um, to at least atone for the defensive lacking it's like you had a reggie wayne you had a marvin harrison a dallas clark and edgerin james um and then the offensive line was was good honestly i mean i think that was a combination of having a good offensive line but it was a quick strike offense where peyton was getting the ball out of his hands quickly so like it was making up for a lot of the defensive shortcomings at first but over time it just got to be too much and then that whole defensive ineptitude carries over into the luck era. But the problem is you're not surrounding him with the same quality of weapons. Like you had Reggie who came back and started out good. Luck's rookie year had a great season, but then he tears his ACL in 2013 was never the same going forward. Um, And then besides him, I mean, you draft TY, so that was good, but other than that, I mean, my, my God, like Kobe Fleener, not awful. Dwayne Allen had like one or two good seasons, but for the most part, didn't end up having as much of an impact as they thought he was going to. Um, never really had a good running back. I mean, Dick Ballard had one year. It was just like there was no real consistent players that could show up besides luck. And he had to, as a result – do everything and uh you add that onto the fact that the guy's getting killed practically every game i mean it just 
it, it got to be a lot to handle. And I, you know, I could totally understand it looking back now. Now, transitioning a little more recently, when they hired Ballard, they brought in Reich. How mm -hmm. did you feel about those initially when they first happened? Thrilled. I, <laughs> my God. I mean, anybody's better than Grigson. I mean, my <laughs> gosh, at the end of his tenure, I was hoping that someone was going to tie him to a metal pole, stick a bunch of batteries in his mouth and fucking call on a rainstorm. I, mean, <laughs> I really wouldn't have cared if that guy got struck by lightning, quite honestly. Um, and you could just tell that there was such a big culture shift and you heard it from former players like Mathis said things, Gary Brackett said stuff, Pat McAfee, notoriously a big Grigson hater. Um, he, he just didn't fit in. Like he thought that his, you know, his act was impenetrable. Like he knew what he was doing and he never like tried to be one of the guys. So then when Ballard comes in, he had the prior success in Kansas city and he just seemed to get it. And then you bring in Reich who was a guru and did what he did in Philly. Um, it just, it couldn't be any worse in my eyes. Like it could only go up from there. Um, and that much was evident that 2018 off season. I mean, my God, you draft two all pros and, it's just from there. I mean, it's been great, honestly, overall. I mean, it's interesting because I have a few Eagles fan friends who all swear by that Reich was probably the coach to keep and that it wasn't really Doug, Doug Peterson being that good of a head coach. It was more so that he had really good coordinators and that's really how the Eagles won that Super Bowl. That oh, yeah. if, it, if it were up to my one friend, he consistently says, if I had to choose between Doug right after winning the Super Bowl or Reich, I would have kept Reich as the head coach until Doug figure it out because yeah, he I values mean, him that much as an offensive coordinator. Yes. I mean, I think Doug deserved credit because he has a very aggressive mentality on his own, but then you add in Reich and his capabilities and his clear moxie um, and his own set of cojones that he's got. Um, it just made for a great recipe for success, especially in the Super Bowl, as everybody saw. But yeah, I would definitely say that Reich was more instrumental in getting everything that he could out of Foles. And then he comes here and I, I swear to God, I jumped for joy when I thought about the idea of pairing a guy like Reich up with Luck because I've seen what Luck can do with a crap coordinator, a crap coach. So to get someone who's actually good, like I was so happy when Josh McDaniels screwed us <laughs> over. So, I mean, my God, I was, I was so happy and it seemed like it was going to be Super Bowl contenders for the next five to 10 years, honestly, in my opinion, because I know the defense wasn't there at first, but Ballard, obviously had a clear vision of what he wanted the team to look like and he just got to work and the fruits of the labor were really starting to to come forward so I was getting so excited and then of course August 26 2019 happened and then I just oh it's <laughs> horrible but anyway so when we talk about what Ballard has done with the Colts I think it's probably 
the safest model for other teams to replicate in terms of team building where you hoard your cap space, you wait for the right moment in free agency to get guys who fit what you want to do. You have to hammer the draft though. That's the one thing that not a lot of teams are good at that so far in his time as GM, he's hammered the draft and done very well with it and gotten guys that were immediately able to plug and play and be ready to go. And now they just have to fill in the periphery. Will Rivers yep. be the guy next year? Maybe, maybe not. Will they have to get another wide receiver? Will they have to get another pass rusher? Yes, but I think that is probably the easiest model to replicate. No, definitely. I mean, if you look at his, I mean, if you look at his draft history, I mean, you start out in in 2017. I mean, really, where we were sitting at 15, there were plenty of options where I wouldn't have faulted him for any of the picks that. I was eyeing, but I mean, you draft Hooker, which at the time looked promising prior to his injury problems, but um, you get Hooker and then you go down the draft and you get Marlon Mack in the fourth round, which incredible value there. Grover Stewart too, who's turned into an absolute beast on the defensive line. I swear to God, if they don't pay him, I'm going to be very upset this off season. Um, and then Anthony Walker, too. I mean, given where he was drafted, you draft him in the late fifth round. I mean, the ROI that he gets on some of these dudes is just absolutely insane. And then, of course, you know, the next year you get you get Big Q at, at six. You get that trade with the Jets, and you get Quinton at six, who I've never been more happier now to watch offensive linemen play football. I mean, he is just an absolute mauler. It is the biggest pleasure. I got to watch him in person. Finally, I got to go to Indianapolis. Finally, the first time in my life last year when they played Houston and he is an absolute mountain of a man. And that guy just moves people. It is an honor to watch that dude play. Um, and then you get, of course, Darius Leonard in the second round, who everybody was dumping all over that pick, thought it was god-awful, but, you know, they were wrong. And then you get Braden Smith to shore up the the offensive line, too. Um, Hines was in that draft. Tyquan Lewis has been great on the defensive line. Braden Smith has been, you know, again, just solid. Um, but he just – he gets value. Like, he really just – like you said, he stockpiles picks – and he's able with his scouting team, the scouting team doesn't get enough credit. They really do a great job, especially Jamie Moore. Um, they do a great job of really finding these diamonds in the rough that people, they might be looking at, but not as closely as the more highly touted draft picks. Um, and they just, they just know what they're looking for. And then of course, this off season, you trade for Buckner, who's been nothing short of spectacular. Um, he just gets it. You know, he built the baseline culture, what he wanted the locker room to look like. And then once he determined that the young core was established to his liking, then he can finally now start adding those marquee free agents that he's been stockpiling cap room for. So, I mean, it's just, like you said, it's a perfect template that I think a lot of other GMs should take note and if possible use because it's been for the most part rather uh, rather successful the coaching thing is separate but from where ballard sits it's it's been very very successful so they've used that cat space pretty sparingly aside from 
some of the free agents they've gone out and spent a little money on very short term. People they've spent money on, Rivers, Brissett, uh, Justin Houston, they've spent money interestingly. I don't know if any of those moves are slam dunk knockouts, but I get why you make those moves. I don't know if you can win a Super Bowl at this point with Philip Rivers in his career, unless the supporting cast is terrific. I'll let you answer that in a second, but I think he's trying to get to a point where they can draft a good quarterback or get a good quarterback. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big Jacob Beeson fan. Um, I think he's got all the potential in the world. I mean, from all the reports I've seen from Zach Kiefer, Stephen Holder, other local Indianapolis writers out there, his progression has been nothing short of great. I mean, my God, the guy's 6'6". Apparently he's got a rocket arm. And for all the criticism that Rivers gets, and rightfully so for pretty much most of the time, um, I really couldn't think of many other players that I would want to have the opportunity to, to learn under than, than Phil. I mean, his competitive spirit, I mean, yes, his decision-making at times is questionable, but I mean, he's been around for a long time for a reason. I mean, if he wasn't good at his job, I don't think he would still be a starting quarterback. So, I mean, I think Eason will be the guy when it's all said and done. Um, but I also can't rule out possibly trading for a guy like Sam Darnold and having an open competition to see who ends up taking that starting quarterback spot once Phil is uh, wrapped it up. Um, so, I mean, the, the current model that they're using, I think if you're gonna really see what you can get out of it, this year is going to be the year um, because you have a lot of key players who are going to become free agents that you're going to have to make some pretty big decisions about whether or not to bring them back. So I think if you're going to see what kind of potential this approach has, this is probably the last year to get a true understanding of it. And if not, then you have to, you're going to have to do some pretty serious retooling at that point. But um, again, that also is, speaking to the genius of Ballard because the contract structuring is very good. I mean, Brissett's contract is going to come off the books. Phil's contract comes off the books. Xavier Rhodes, you only gave him a one year, $3 million deal. That's going to come off. So, I mean, they're going to have the space needed to either re-sign their key guys that they have now, whether it's Nelson or Leonard, if they choose to do that. Um, I know they got a couple years left, but still might be better safe than sorry to just lock it up now. Or, you know, you use that money elsewhere to re-sign some key younger pieces, Grover Stewart, like I said before, but he's got, he's got a vision and he's been acting on it. And I wouldn't expect that to, to change going forward the next three to five years. So we'll see. All right. Now that we've covered the basis, where the team's been, where they are now, how do you feel about them rest of the season based on who they're in the mix with for a wild card and their remaining schedule. Cause it's a tough schedule the rest of the way. There's a few oh, there's no really doubt. hard games on there. There's no doubt, but listen, I'm not even looking at the wild card. I think we're going to win the division. I, I really do. Um, I'm not just saying that being a Homer, um, but 
to me, when I look at the rest of the schedule, I actually think the Green Bay game is going to be a lot closer than some people might think. Um, I mean, it also depends on the health of both Jair Alexander and Kevin King, if they're going to play this week. But I honestly believe that if assuming we don't have any injuries that pop up, I think we're going to give Green Bay a run for their money. Um, and then, you know, you follow that up next week with Tennessee again, um, which we just have their number. I mean, my God, we're their daddies. Like, I, I don't even want to hear any sort of conversation at this point. It's quite obvious that we are the class of the AFC South um, in that regard. Um, I really don't even think it's a conversation. Um, and then you got to, you know, at what I think is an easy win against Houston. Um, the Raiders game will be tough, no doubt. Um, I think we could slip up there. Then you play Houston again. It's another win. And then you got the Steelers, which I don't even want to talk about that. And then you finish it off against Jacksonville. So, I mean, I pos I personally believe that 11 and five or 12 and four is very, very possible um, for this team. I mean, they've shown the potential to, to really stay in every game. They've been in every game that they've played in this year. Um, so I, I really don't see why they can't win 11 or 12 games, quite honestly. I mean, I'm looking at the look-ahead line. Candle has it at Indianapolis minus two and a half with an over-under of 52. So they're expecting a pretty close game. I mean, I'll probably take Green Bay just because Aaron Rodgers getting points is something you don't get sure. that often. But from a competitive standpoint, I think they have the defense to hang with pretty much everyone. Yeah, it's, it's just a matter of offense. Yeah. It's, it's always been the offense, man. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get with them week to week. Like I said, um, I, I think that they really just need to stick with the up-tempo approach. I, I mean, especially against a team like Green Bay, like Green Bay has shown that they are particularly susceptible running the ball against them. So I think if you can do that and then set up the play action to hit them over the middle of the field, whether it's with Mo, Trey Burton, or have you know, Pascal or Pittman run across the middle too. Like their linebackers, they're not good. Um, so I think if you attack it that way, then there's no reason for me to believe that they're not capable of putting up 24, 27 points and limiting what Green Bay is able to do on offense because our defense is really good on at limiting big plays. So that's literally what Matt Eberflus's defense is set up for. So there's, there's no reason for me to believe that we're not capable of winning that game. I don't know how much of the Green Bay-Jacksonville game you saw yesterday, but it, I did. Uh, Green Bay's offense is entirely based on big plays. I mean, that's really how they – there aren't a lot of four yards, seven yards, first down. They really live and die by Adams making people miss, yeah. checkdowns to Adam Jones doing something crazy after the catch or the occasional time Valdez-Scantling doesn't drop a bomb. They're right. very dependent on having favorable situations where they can take those deep shots and use Jones to dictate the flow of the game. They're similar to how Oakland is, how Baltimore is, where if they're playing with a lead, you're probably in trouble. But if they're in a close game or they're playing from behind, they have a really hard time playing catch-up because – so much of their offense is dictated on big plays to get them back in the mix. I mean, that's how they got boat raced against Tampa Bay. Yeah. They were just looking for the bomb and it wasn't there. No, exactly. I mean, like 
when I look at Green Bay, like they are very capable um, running the ball. Like Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, that's a great one-two punch. But like when I look at the Colts defense, like unless you're Derrick Henry, I'm not even going to sneeze quite honestly. Like, or no, I am going to sneeze. I think that would be the proper way to word it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that like we've just been even against Cleveland, everybody, Cleveland and Baltimore, like everybody was like, oh my God, they're going to run all over all over Indy and like we we shut that down it's more so just it's the self-inflicted stuff like I think the reason we kept Tennessee in the game uh longer than we really needed to was penalties we had nine penalties for 73 yards and that first scoring drive especially for Tennessee we had I think it was three or four penalties alone that extended the drive so I mean when I you know when I look at it I'm not as much concerned about the running game. It's really more so just limiting those big plays, which heading into the game, prior to heading into the game against Tennessee, I think the Colts, if I recall correctly, were like second in the league in limiting 20-yard-plus plays. So, I mean, I'm just, you know, yeah, second fewest biggest plays, second fewest big plays of 20 plus yards allowed heading into Thursday um, last week. So again, it's going to be just a matter of limiting Rodgers and his mobility and just stopping the run. I mean, that's really what it's been. That's been the formula for us every week. So I'm, I expect more of the same. Gotcha. So what tier of contender would you put Indianapolis with? Who are their peers in terms of contending for a Super Bowl right now? Well, I think for me, tier one, I have I have Kansas City. Yeah. I have Pittsburgh. And I I mean it's hard for me to even put in like another it, it's hard for me to put another team in, in that tier, honestly, because I mean maybe Buffalo, Buffalo outside of that ridiculousness with DeAndre Hopkins yesterday. I mean, they've been pretty stellar. Um, I mean, I guess I would throw Green Bay into tier one as well, but I think we're right. And then the Saints as well. Um, I would put in tier one. I wouldn't put Tampa Bay in. I actually put Tampa Bay in tier two with us, along with the Rams, uh, Seattle, the Cardinals, um, to name a couple. Um, the reason why is because I feel like Tampa's defense recently hasn't been as shut down as it was to start the season. So I think that in order for me to put them back into tier one, uh, I need to see a little more consistency from them defensively speaking. Um, but I honestly, yeah, I, I really do put us right at, at tier two. I mean, mainly because of our defense and how we've performed the entire season. But just because I feel like on paper, we have a roster that's capable from top to bottom, special teams included, to really make some noise should we get into a position where we can make a run in the playoffs. So, so I, I mean, I really do think we're like right there, quite honestly. Gotcha. I, I think the Colts are probably around that mix. I would say their worries is, for me at least, is when you get into a playoff game, who you match up against is going to be a big thing this year because that either seven or eight teams are going to get in this year. Probably It's probably going to end up being eight because just 
law of averages, COVID is going to mess something up at some point and some team is only going to be able to play 15 games or whatever. It's not the end of the world that there'll be eight teams in, in, in both, in both conferences. It all depends who you match up against. Cause you get a lucky roll of the dice and you play Cleveland with no Odell and a defense. That's pretty much just miles Garrett. That's a lot better than having to play a rolling Miami or Oakland, which is just going to be a slog. An Indianapolis Raiders wild card round game would be like 17 to 13 with 200 yards rushing and maybe 150 yards passing for each team. It would be, it really does depend who you match up against because no one wants to play Kansas City that first round. No one wants to play Pittsburgh that first round. You gotta hope you can get a good matchup in a potential wild card. I would be fine with either staying at four and possibly playing either the Raiders or I'll throw Miami in there. Although I don't know, Miami's kind of scaring me. They're really looking good now ever since, um, well, I mean, even when Fitz was in there, they looked good, Um, but they've especially heightened their play now that two was in there. So I don't, I'm not going to jump right in and say I would want to match up with them because they could be uh, a serious dark horse contender to disrupt some uh disrupt some uh some peace in the uh in the playoffs for some teams but um personally if i had to have it my way i would like to play oakland or las vegas sorry um, i still call them oakland it's fun yeah i i think that that would be the most ideal matchup because i really think that we can match up with their offense quite well i mean to me it's shutting down or it's limiting Darren Waller first and foremost, and then just taking care of Josh Jacobs. And then I think the rest can fall into place. So um, from where I stand, that would be my preferred matchup, but you know, however the, the card, however the chips fall the rest of the season, we'll see. Um, but I think we're in a good spot. I think we have the potential to even jump to three and take a, take Buffalo, but um I, you know, again, we'll see. I, I never know what this team is going to do week to week. All I know is that the defense is going to be good. I don't know what the offense is going to do. So, Do you expect to win at least one playoff game this year? Is that a realistic goal, make the divisional round, potentially the conference yeah. title game? Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I wasn't even looking – like prior to the season, I wasn't even looking I, – I thought the defense would play well. I mean – it just makes sense with the whole continuity aspect of things. Like that's why the offensive line has been as good as it's been the past couple of seasons, because no one ever really gets hurt and everybody's, you know, you got the same starting five going out there generally. So like I expected the defense to naturally get better just because they're all young and you get that experience. Um, But I mean, just looking on paper, I mean, prior to the season you had, you had Mac, you had Jonathan Taylor, you had T.Y., who I really thought with Philip coming in, he was especially going to see a lot of benefit from, from Phil being under center just because he's more aggressive than Jacoby, um, for better or worse. Um, and then drafting Michael Pittman. Like, I, I really thought we had the weapons where even if the defense was so-so, I really thought it was the offense that was going to – carry the load um it's been the opposite which honestly i'm i'm not complaining about um but yeah i i still had the expectation even at that point where i thought we were going to go 
11 and five and at least make it to the divisional. Yeah. I, I thought that was a reasonable expectation with, with all the, uh, with all the prior, I, I shouldn't say success from, from last year, but just overall the potential I was seeing from this team, I, I thought that that was a reasonable expectation to bring in a guy like rivers, especially. So we'll see. So if I were to say to you, how many years away from being a Super Bowl contender do you think the Colts are? What's a realistic timeline for this is the year we got to push all our chips in because our young guys are too expensive and we need to go for it this year. What do you think is the make it or break it point for that timeline? Because they are going to have to pay Nelson. They're going to have to pay Darius Leonard. They got to. Um, I, I think you got maybe one more year. Mm -hmm. of going for it now um when, and again that doesn't even necessarily mean you bring phil back because i don't think you should bring phil back um but i think you've got one more year uh as is and even then you still have to make some big decisions the first one being what are you going to do with ty now that he's about to be a free agent and he hasn't exactly looked like he's going to be seeing the uh the right side of 30 um but we'll see um so, I mean, you're still going to have to make some decisions, but I think you've got one more year um, in this sort of middle ground where you're a playoff team, you can potentially make some noise. Um, but in terms of actually contending for a Super Bowl, I think we're maybe, I, I really think we're only like two years away, maybe three. Um, I, I think it's just going to come down to the weapons on offense. We, we really don't have like, bonafide pieces i mean i'm a ty apologist so i'll say ty is the only real established one in marlon mack but outside of that no one's really established just yet so i think you got to get some some real dynamite weapons uh for whoever the quarterback ends up being and then i think the rest will be fine quite honestly so i would say maybe two years three years Gotcha. So if I were to sit you down in a room with Chris Ballard and you guys had to come up with a plan to get the Colts ready to go for that window, what would be the general moves? And then based on those moves, I'll give you potential answers for who they could be. Cause I have a tab open here with free agents for the next year and two, next two years. So what positions do you guys still need and uh, okay. how much are you willing to commit to them? Uh, I, I think we should really invest in the receiver group. Um, I think you started out by, by getting Pittman. Um, but I think the first thing is figuring out what you're going to do with TY. Um, but outside of that, I mean, you really don't have much. I mean, Zach Pascal is serviceable, but he's not going to make you like shake in your boots or anything like that. Um, then you got Marcus Johnson, uh, DeMichael Harris or I, I mean like you don't have anybody um, and then like at the tight end position maybe bring in somebody else because um, <clears throat> again I just I, I don't think we really have a established presence even there um, but I would say the first point to the first group to address would be uh would be receiver. Uh, I really think we need a real established weapon um, to complement Ty if we bring him back or Michael Pittman because um, that's really been the story of the past 
<clears throat> six or eight seasons when when Reggie when Reggie Wayne came back for Luck's first couple of years. Um, we really didn't have a solidified number two until he got hurt and then T.Y. stepped in. Um, but then uh, on top of it, once T.Y. took hold, we never really gave him a complimentary number two either. Um, so I think you could really start out there. Um, I think addressing the offensive line and adding some depth there would be nice. Um, defensive end, putting some depth there would be good. Um, and then just, again, it's really not like outside of the receiver group, it's not necessarily finding superstar pieces. It's more so finding the depth to go underneath so that you have a very, very complete roster across the board, I guess, at this point. All right. So I have receivers here. So there's Allen Robinson, there's Kenny Galladay, there's Marvin Jones, Sammy Watkins. Will fall. I would throw. I would throw the boat. I would. I would throw the bag at Allen Robinson. That would be my first choice. Yeah. Yeah. I because I think Detroit's not going to let. I mean, Chicago's obviously not going to try and let Robinson get away, but I think he wants to get away. Um, Detroit's not going to let Galladay go if they have to pick between him and Marvin Jones. They're going to take Galladay. That guy is. He's an athletic freak. Um, so I think they're going to keep him. Um, they'll probably let, I think they're going to let Marvin Jones walk though. Uh, just my opinion. Um, but yeah, I would try and throw the bag at Allen Robinson. I think he is so criminally underrated still, despite the, uh, the praise he's been getting. I mean, it doesn't matter. He's like a DeAndre Hopkins type of dude. in the fact that it doesn't matter who you put under center, he's going to find a way to get the ball and make plays. So I think someone like him would be perfect to bring in quite honestly. So that's, that's the move I would suggest. Does Godwin interest you at all? Yes, but I think Tampa's going to keep him. I yeah. think they're going to do everything in their power to keep Evans and Godwin together um, because that's just an incredible one-two punch. I mean, that's arguably, if you put everything on paper, that's probably the best duo in the in the NFL. Um, I mean, you can make a case for maybe Julio and Calvin Ridley or one of those, but um, I would keep Evans and Godwin together, and I think Tampa's going to do that. Okay, so hypothetically, we're throwing a bag at Allen Robinson, which there's yeah. going to be a lot of teams running up to do that because receivers like him usually don't get to free agency. They get traded in that last right. year of their contract. Yeah. And then you said defensive end. So here's a few. There's Laird Williams, who the Giants will probably extend because they're stubborn and won't admit their mistake. There's right. Clowney. There's Houston, who you could bring back. There's Ngakwe. There's Ryan Kerrigan. There's Solomon Thomas. Everson Griffin. It's like the my issue there. Um, see, my issue there is like the only one out of that group that you just named that I would think about is Ngakwe. Honestly, I mean, I think they will end up maybe bringing Houston back, but then again, <clears throat> I could also see them deciding not to because he'll be 32 next season or going into next season. So I mean. It's a little on the older side, so they might think that it's best to find someone younger. Um, but then again, I don't know, because he's still showing that he's capable of producing. Um, so maybe 
See, I don't know. It's interesting because he's at that point where you could try and throw him into that whole third down pass rushing specialist type of role. Um, but, you know, Dwight Freeney, they tried doing that to him and he hated it. Robert Mathis hated it too, because you're basically feeling like they're limiting your potential to, to help the team out, which is noble, but um, that they want to help. But I don't think that sits well with a lot of those bona fide pass rushers to just be limited to a third down type of situation. So um, who knows what they'll do there. Um, but then like, now that I think about it, we have, we have Kamoko Toure who's coming back likely this week. Um, and he's got all the potential. He just has to stay healthy. And then you still have Taekwon Lewis. You still have Alquadine Mohamed. So like, it's a good problem to have because there are pieces there. It's more so finding the solidified option that you know you can rely on to make the big play in a time of need. So, I mean, if I have to pick out of that group, I'd still go Houston if they yeah. are go and if they are going to go route. Yeah. All right. So I also I pulled up another one, which this is just edge rushers. So hypothetically speaking, Judon could be out there, Melvin <laughs> Ingram could be out there, Bud Dupree. Shaq Barrett, Von Miller could hypothetically be out there. Levante David could be out there. There's a lot of interest. Devondre Campbell could be out there, a little less expensive. Kyler Fackrell, who's been okay with the Giants, who cheaper, a little less expensive. Yeah. What do you? What position do you think is more important that they spend more receiver. money on? Yeah, what one hundred percent receiver? Yeah, it has to be like. I I've been <laughs> I've been dying for a complimentary receiver for whoever the quote unquote number one is for I don't know how many years. So I think you need to do that like now. And then you say you go a little bit on the cheaper end where you look at maybe two small guys just to have a more of a pass rushing rotation, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are going to go after one of those besides bringing back Houston, um, taking a guy like Judon if possible something like that like that's fine I wouldn't I wouldn't have an issue with that either so as we wrap this up I just wanted to ask one last thing mm. if Rivers is not the guy and you roll do you roll into next year with Eason a sixth round pick as your starter or is it no. an open competition with him and Brissett? Do they bring someone else in from the outside to compete for the starting job? No, we're not doing Jacoby again. I, I've had enough of Jacoby. I like him as a backup. I think we should keep him that way. I personally, um, I personally think that they should go after Darnold. Um, I really think that he's got all the, the potential in the world. I know Jet fans, some of them are not – a huge fan of his, um, but I just think he is a byproduct of a god-awful coaching situation there. Um, I think they're sabotaging whatever success he could have at the moment, so I think it would be a much-needed change of scenery, and if you're, you know, if you got Reich there, I mean, I can't think of many more coaches um, on paper that I would want to pair a guy like Darnold who is mobile and can make throws pretty much at any angle if you really need him to um, 
I can't think of another coach for the most part um, that would make sense for him other than Reich. So that, that's what I hope they'll do, quite honestly. Um, and then, again, let Eason compete with him, see how it goes. And then I think either way, you have a good situation on your hands from a quarterback perspective. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the pool of free agent, hypothetical free agent quarterbacks. And unless you just want someone to push a young guy, there's not a lot here. You could do a year of the Fitzmagic experience where Eason has to compete with him and you roll the dice. You could do Mitch if you want to have a real competition. There's That's really it. I mean, you could do one year of Cam Newton if you really wanted. You could do a I, year. I, I think the year to do Cam. <laughs> was this year? Yeah. Yeah, man. I wanted either Cam or, or Teddy B. That was Those were my two, my two top picks, honestly. Would you sign up for Jameis next year? Um, yeah, you know what? I mean, people like to, you know, lambast him for the turnovers, but he's, he's thrown for 5,000 yards. He's got all the arm talent in the world. Um, it's more so just a decision-making thing. And I think in an offense like Reich's where it's predicated on an up-tempo quick strike approach with the occasional deep shot chunk play mixed in. Um, I think that's perfect to really limit the potential for those kinds of mistakes to happen. So I wouldn't be opposed to that either, quite honestly, on like a one year or, you know, even maybe two year type of deal. Sure. Yeah. So now that we've covered all of the bases, thank you for coming on Chuck. It was good to talk to you. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you so much for, Thank you so much for having me on. It was uh, it was nice to get some of my uh, my problems out onto the <laughs> waves. So thank you. That's that's the whole point of this. If the Colts win the division, I will have you back on for a playoff game preview. And depending on who they play, I might have a f- friend who could possibly come on to do a formal debate of sorts for why they think their team is going to win this hypothetical game. I'm telling you, if we make a deep run, and I even said to someone already, if they somehow make the Super Bowl, if we even just make the Super Bowl, I'll probably catch a public indecency charge because you'll probably find me running butt naked in the middle of some highway, just losing my mind because I just, you know, with everything that's happened the past couple of years, um, to be in that kind of position would be incredible. So... It's got to feel good to feel good about your football team. I don't know what that's like. I haven't known what that's like since Odell and those guys went on that boat with Jason Derulo before a playoff game. It's been a while. In in one year, I went from completely sabotaging a date with a hot chick because Luck abruptly retired in the middle of my dinner to being in a position now where I can like actually go out and enjoy my Sundays because the likelihood of winning is actually quite high now. So it's been a nice, uh, a nice rebound slash glow up moment from a fandom perspective. So I'm, I'm quite happy at this point. That's a great note to end the episode on. We'll see you guys probably on Friday. I'm trying to get my, I'm trying to get either a Penn State episode or an Alabama episode. It depends on the availability of my hypothetical guests, but I'll see you guys next time. I mean, I've got, I've got either my girlfriend who's an alumni or someone else who works at Gotham, who's an alumni who just kind of want to yell about James Franklin. So a lot of options. It's a good idea. Yeah. All right, people. We'll see you guys next time.